and for others. And uh, so we're just appreciative of what they've done and, and all the work they've put into it. Um, so let's go ahead and get started here. Um, just So today we're going to be in James chapter 5. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bible there, just to follow along in, in your Bible, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, this morning, so if you'll remember, we talked about including God in all our plans, right? Okay, well, I love a visual uh, presentation. And so I got one this morning. I walked out of the house. I had to. I uh, drove from home into Anchorage and, and had all my clothes I needed to change here in, in Anchorage because I was running a couple errands this morning. And, and immediately I put everything on and discover no belt. And so you're going to see me fooling with my pants all morning. And I apologize for that. <laughs> Just a reminder to include God in everything you do, okay? All right. James chapter 5. Now, this is the last chapter in James. Um, we've still got a few more weeks in our lesson. And we're going to be moving into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So I hope you'll prepare for that. Read ahead. Um, James itself is only five chapters, very short. Go back through it yourself and, and look at it closely. Then start on into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd James. Or, or John. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So. As usual, we're going to go straight into the word first, read the entire chapter, and then we'll get into our, our study and, um, and expand on that. So, follow along with me. Oh, this is a point I want to make before we even get into it. This was one of the final verses last week, James chapter 4, verse 17. So, for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. I did not emphasize that enough. That applies to us, each and every one of us, every day. When we make a decision, right and wrong, when temptation presents itself to us, and we have to make a choice, what are you choosing? And for many of us falling into temptation, we know it's wrong. We know it. So how much more worse is it if we make that decision to dive in? Okay? Knowing that something is wrong, but choosing it makes it even worse. Um, So I just want to emphasize that a little bit more. Also, a dear brother uh, after class last week said, you know, that my illustration, my very simple, simplistic illustration on grace was misleading and, and I understand what he was talking about, and I apologize if you got the wrong idea there. Grace itself needs a deep study. There's so much there, and there's so much we don't understand. It can be such a complex subject uh, for so one word, grace. What does that mean? What does that cover? Tony could certainly do a much better job in, in presenting it as a lesson or a sermon, I know. Uh, however, we're not going to get sidetracked into that this morning. Uh, we're going to continue on into James. But uh, I apologize if, if that left you wondering about grace or uh, maybe misinformed. So please do your own study on that. Uh, ask me questions afterwards if you want to, and I'll, I'll try and help you. Okay, James, verse 1. Come now, you rich people. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. 
Your gold and your silver have corroded, and their corrosion will serve as a testimony against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived for pleasure on the earth and lived luxuriously. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous person. He offers you no resistance. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the previous produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you do not fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then you must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So much put into this last chapter, and he ends it very abruptly. All right, we're back. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So... He's crammed so much in there. We're gonna we're gonna pull it apart and look at it, uh, and and just explore it. He ends this letter so abruptly, and and there was nothing wrong with that. There was no you know. Well, I wish you well. I hope everything goes well. You know, the love of God for you. Paul was really good about that. He loved his introductions and his exits, and uh, and he, he often used those as as encouragement. But James is just like. Okay, here's what you need to do. There, you got it. Go. All right. So, <clears throat> verse 1. Come now, you rich people. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. 
If you remember in chapter 4, verse 9, he brought about that same idea. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. In other words, be sorry for what you did. If you have sinned against God, if you have entered into to wrongness, then you need to change about it. Not just a simple, oh, well, I messed up. You know, or not just a, sorry, with no meaning. Put some meaning into it. He's saying you need to, to do a 180 here. You need to really sincerely be sorry for what you did. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eating. Eaten. So at that time, you know, it goes on in verse 3 talking about gold and silver. A sign of wealth during that time was gold and silver, precious metals, fine, fancy clothing, and a rich banquet of food. Those were the trappings of the rich. That's how they showed their rich, or their, their wealth. So he's saying all that is for nothing. It comes to an end. The food's going to rot. Your, your clothes are going to be moth-eating. You've stored up all these things. You know, it's all for nothing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And will consume your flesh like fire. All of these things are going to weigh down on you. Now, I kind of think that he's also talking into a, a spiritual context here. That we as Christians have wealth in Christ, our spiritual wealth. But what happens when we don't take care of that? When we're not tending to that? When we're not giving it to God? Well... The world's going to come in and just consume you. We can get so focused on the material things that we forget God so often. You know, the, the, the next car, the next beautiful house. Oh, that, I saw some clothing online. I think I'm going to order that, you know, and, and fill up my closet. We get so caught up in the material things, the world. And remember, we've talked many times about fence-sitting don't be wishy-washy. You know, you cannot have hold. You cannot be double-minded. Words from James. You cannot be double-minded holding on to the world and God. It doesn't work like that. You need to hold on to God with both hands. And so many times we let that slip, don't we? You know, we're, we are very busy in our lives and, and things happen. And, and look, their time has just flown by. And I have I've forgotten to I've forgotten to talk to God. I, I forgot to to read His Word. You know, all these things slip by so fast and so easy just to let them go. And when it happens over and over and over, you know what happens then? It becomes habit. So let me ask you this: Is it your habit to forget to read God's Word? Is it your habit to forget to pray? We need to make that a routine every day, and I encourage you to try and change that. Um, just to get it into your life more, because that's what connects us to God, is that communication to Him. All right. Now, they've laid up all their treasures, their wealth, and, and immediately that reminded me in my study of the Sermon on the Mount. 
So let's, let's read the verses here. This is just a portion of the Sermon on the Mount, but it applies here. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, will be also. Where is your treasure? You know, we, we have to have money to live, okay? Let's just face that. We are a, are a part of the world, but not in the world, all right? It splatters on us. It gets us dirty. Wash it off and keep going. But as we go through life, are you collecting those treasures that are spiritual, or are you collecting those treasures that are material? Now, uh, just a side note there. If if you have treasures that are material, I hope, I, I think it's wonderful that God has blessed you in that way. And I hope that you share those as they're meant to be. Share with people. All right, let's go on. Verse 4. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your, fi- mowed your fields, which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. Now, Lord of armies, your Bible may have different ways of saying that. They're all referring back to God. They're all terms for God used all the way from the, the Old Testament. So what he's saying there is these rich people were selfish. Selfish. How often does that apply to us? How often does that apply to me? How often do I get so trapped into what I'm thinking and I'm doing and and then that slowly becomes me, me, me. And then I, I, I want more because I enjoyed that, so I want some more. And I'm gathering up all stuff that's just going to rot away. And instead of thinking about you, I'm focused on me. Now, so many times we can get caught up there because, because really that's what the world is pushing us, right? That influence that's always coming, it's all about you. You take care of yourself, you know? You need to think about yourself. Take care of yourself. It's all about yourself. Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. God says, no, that's wrong. So in this instance, when James is talking to the Christians that are spread out abroad, there's a group of them there that he's writing this letter to specifically, and he's correcting things that are happening there. All these things that we are reading here are happening there. Okay? There's a group of Christians within that that family, that church, that area, that are doing awful things to each other. And there's a group there of rich ones that are elevating themselves. And at the same time, while they're elevating themselves, they are pushing down their brothers and sisters. Now, I have not seen that in our congregation. In all the time I've been um, in Christ, I've not seen to that extent. I've seen people elevate themselves. I've seen arrogance. I've seen um, all kinds of things like that. But, but just to imagine that there are brothers and sisters in Christ 
pushing down other people is just, to me, horrible. But we can still learn from that. So we may not, we may compare ourselves to them and say, okay, I'm, I'm glad there. But at the same time, we need to be learning. We need to be on guard. We need to warn ourselves because these things can happen. As soon as you say, no, that can't happen here, you know it's going to happen. You know, at some point in the future, whether next week, next year, or 10 years from now, things like this creep right into the church. They always have, they always will, because we are just people, and we make mistakes. All right, so selfishness, a horrible trait to have, because that is just opposite of God. God, the one who gives and gives and gives and wants to give to you. He wants to bless you. And so many times we just take those, we forget about God, take it for granted, and then we start focusing on ourselves and building up our own treasures. All right. Well, let's go on. You have lived for pleasure on the earth and lived luxuriously. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So, day of slaughter. That day is coming. The last days. Now, those last days have been coming since the day of Pentecost. Okay? Every time I've read that as a child, I'm like, well, okay, is the world, why hasn't the world ended yet? You know, when's judgment day coming? No, he's saying there is a finite amount of time. God knows what it is. We do not. But we are in those last days whether it stretches for the next year or the next hundred years or the next thousand. doesn't matter. These are the last days because we're all heading for that final end. You have condemned and put to death the righteous person. He offers you no resistance. Now, this verse itself, when it says you have condemned and put to death the righteous person, in all my studies, uh, several of the authors and all in going, well, did they they really put to death people? Okay. Opinion here, because we don't actually know that that happened, I think not. I think it was the attitude. If you remember in previous chapters, we talked about attitude. If you hate your brother, that is the same as murder. Okay? So if they are doing these horrible things to their brothers and sisters, then it is it is like killing them. It is like murder. It is like putting them to death. Now, just a side note on that thought there. If you're being that horrible to your brothers and sisters, what's going to happen to them? How? What's going to happen? Are you, if you're not uplifting those brothers and sisters and you're crushing them down, what happens to their spirit? You know, sometimes when, when things are happening to us, life happens, what happens to us? Our spirit starts to get weak. And in those times, temptation comes even faster and bigger. Stumbling blocks are put before us. So many times we will reach for the, for the comfort and the, the things we know. And oftentimes those are, are not right. And it's so easy to give in and give up and stop looking up. So these people that are, are oppressing others, 
how do you think they're going to be judged before God if they're doing this to their fellow brothers and sisters? Before I lose my place here. Therefore, be patient. Now, he, he takes a different viewpoint here. He's been talking to this group over here that's oppressed people, done horrible things, but now he kind of widens his whole view back to the whole group that he's talking to. And more so, even the oppressed, those that are feeling crushed. He's addressed the rich and the powerful, and now he's going to everybody else. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. Right there, talking about patience, and he's talking about plants and growth. I come from a a German farmer background in Oklahoma. I know about plants. I've watched corn grow. It is really slow. (laughs) But watching it in just a dirt field... And seeing the rains come and go and maybe even a little frost and the thunderstorms moving in and times just passing by. And then you see these little shoots come up and and they start growing and it gets turns green. Now, we're looking forward to our grass turning green, aren't we? Okay, so we, we, we understand a little bit of patience there. But even our food, it takes a while to grow and grow and grow. And I saw my grandfather have so much patience because when it's growing, there's nothing you can do with it. You, you're not going to go out there and, and talk to it and help it grow and encourage it. You're, you're just hoping that the rains will come. You're hoping that God will bless you with that, with that crop and you have to wait. And when your, your livelihood depends on that, that crop is, is money to feed your family, to take care of stuff, to repair things. You're waiting, and you have to be patient. There is no rushing it whatsoever. And he's saying the same thing. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Like I said, we have have an expiration date, okay? The very end of life. And... All that treasure that we are laying up in heaven, we don't even get to it until we get to Judgment Day and get through Judgment Day. We're not going to be able to rush it. We can't hurry it. We can't say, come on, Lord, I need it now. Okay, so patience. And it's hard every day. Life happens. We get crushed. We get lifted up. We get crushed again. Our emotions go all over the place. Sadness, happiness, all these things. And it seems like a continual fight, doesn't it? You know, and, and as we get even older and, and losing a loved one, how much does that crush us even more? It hurts. And all these hurts in life just just are like barbs coming at us. But understand it's a part of life. Even the cycle of life, it happens. But we have to have that same patience to get to the end. There's nothing we can do to hurry it. 
Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. There's that word judge again. Do you think there's some importance there? James has talked quite a bit about it. You know, don't be the judge, he says. Because the real judge is standing right there, and he's watching us. Our God, our judge, who knows everything about us. He knows every second of your day, what you think, what you do. And so many times we try and hide those things from him, which is useless. It's just deceiving ourselves because he already knows. And in that communication, what he's looking for is us to open up and talk to him and to weep and mourn and cry and be sorry. Now, I'm not telling you that every time you make a mistake and you say you're sorry, you've got to weep, cry, and mourn. What he's trying to say here is make a 180-degree change. Be sincerely sorry for what you've done because you've done it against God. If you hurt a brother and sister, you are hurting God. Make that change. Is it easy to complain about things? Yes, it very much is. And don't fall into that trap itself. Guard yourself, because as we complain and have that negative attitude, that just builds up. Now, can we talk about it? Yes. You know, we've got some dear, sweet brothers and sisters here, strong people, mentors that we can talk to. That we can say, hey, I got a problem. Can I just talk to you for a little bit? And I know they'll sit down and they'll listen to you. Now, on that note, when somebody approaches you and says, can I talk to you? I got a problem. And you listen to them. Okay? Now we go all the way back to what James said before. Don't gossip. Don't let it out. Don't let it spread out. That brother or sister has come to you in confidence to just talk because they needed that. They needed your help. And you've provided that to them. And if now you go and spread it out, you're just hurting them more. So much here wrapped up in our lives. James is a, is a guidebook for everyday life and how we should live as Christians. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Endurance, that's what it's all about. We are running a race in life. Think of it that way. Even Paul put it in that, running the race. Okay? Life is busy, and we're running as fast as we can. But there's an end point. There's a line there that we want to get through. I want to be sliding through that line just as as billow of dust. Then say, I'm here. Lord, I'm ready. And he's going to say, I've got your treasures right here. Come and enjoy. You're with me now. That's what I look forward to. Everything else in life is just there. We count those blessed who endured. 
That word should be a part of our vocabulary every day. Endure. When we are in the the negative, when we are in in just the trough of life, and everything's been thrown at us, and we're just feeling so awful, can you endure? Now, remember, James also talked to us about um, the trials of life, trials and temptations, getting through those things. They're going to happen. And what happens when we get through them? We are stronger. And we've experienced something that we have defeated. We've defeated that situation. And we can be positive and happy about that. And even more so... We can use that to help somebody else going through the same thing. Because if you'll remember what you went through at that time and what happened, and you see a brother or sister going through it, or maybe even somebody outside the church in the world, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, and you see them going into that same mud pit, what do you do? run to them and say, hey, let me, let me help you out here. Let me just give you some things that I learned, some little pearls of wisdom. You know, I'm no scholar, but I, I've been through this exact same thing, and, and I'd really like to see you not go through that. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you do not fall under judgment. Be a person of your word. You do not need to swear by God or anything else to prove that you are speaking the truth. Your life should be a life of integrity, a characteristic that we wear every day. Let your word be truth. And if you can't do something, say, I can't do that. Don't say, well, yeah, I'll get to it later on. And never get to it. Or never even have the intention of getting to it. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now, that's very black and white, isn't it? But that really should be us. Yes be yes, no be no. Our Christian character should be one of integrity, truth, honesty. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Okay, we can understand that. Talk to God when you're down. Talk to God when you're up. And he talks about singing praises. You honestly don't want to hear me sing, but I really like to hum. And so I know that when I'm, I'm happy, when, I'm, when things are going well, I hum a lot. You know, Or even if I'm um, alone in my car, then I'll screech. But what he's saying is, bring those praises out. In worship this morning, we are going to be singing praises. Now, we're singing them for each other as well because they're going to be an encouragement But we're singing them to God. And we're saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have done for us. For giving us your son and giving us a way home. We're praising you, God. 
And we should do the same thing every day. It's an attitude. When you're down, pray. When you're up, sing. All of it's going to God. Now, this next verse in 14, it's a little bit hard, and we're going to dive into it a little bit more. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, that verse right there, it's one of those, hmm, what's he talking about there? When's the last time you called the elders and said, come anoint me? It's a, it's a practice that we normally don't do, is it? Have you ever seen it done or heard of it done? Well, I'll tell you, our, our elders here have experienced that. We had a dear sister facing life-threatening disease. And after so many doctor's appointments and, and treatments and everything, she was so afraid for her life, she plucked this verse out and says, Elders, I want you to do this for me. And the elders went, hmm, we've never done this. But okay. And let me tell you, for the elders, it was a true blessing. Because they got to focus on this sister, this act, this, this anointing with oil. And they followed the verse. And they took it very seriously. And the sister who requested it was serious about it. Because she had it in her mind, I need to do this. I need this right now. And if God says we can do this, then I'm going to do it. I would encourage you to, to in many instances like this, if it applies to you, do it. Do it. Talk to the elders. It was truly a blessing for her and for the elders in, in that, that situation. Now, most common, oil. Well, mostly it was olive oil. He, he doesn't specify, you know, in my studies, some of the authors said, well, this, this word applies only to olive oil, and others said, well, it just means oil, and, and I couldn't find either way, you know. But that time, a lot of olive oil was used. And throughout Bible, Bible times, we see that. They use it medicinally. You'd put it on a wound, You'd put it on a scarf, soften the skin. You'd put it on yourself to keep the bugs off. You'd put it on your animals. Shepherds used it on the sheep. You know, cover their noses, keep them from being dry and cracked. If you've ever had a dog and they've played, you know, normally their nose is wet, sniffling, and they're getting it all over you, but sometimes it's dry and it's cracked, and you're like, ooh, let me help you with that. Same thing. Same thing with them and with us. Oil is used, was used medicinally. If you remember the story about the Good Samaritan, what did he use? Oil and wine to clean the wounds and bind it. Okay? The wine would be used as kind of an antiseptic, clean it out, you know, get the dirt out of there, help relieve it, and then putting the oil on there to cover it up so it's not just exposed to air. It can heal better. It can be softer. You know, we see this many times. Um, so, again, if you need to call the elders to be anointed with oil, do it. Don't be afraid of that verse. And the prayer of... Now, let me back up here. In that verse, he's not saying it's a miracle. 
Nowhere in there does he say, you're going to be miraculously healed. He's just saying, do this. If you're sick, now, I don't think he meant, you know, if you've got a cold or you've got sniffles or your allergies are acting up or, you know, you've got a broken arm, I don't think he's talking about those because if we apply it to those situations, then how often are the elders going to be busy anointing everybody? They could just about put them up in a line and say, okay, let's get through this. He's saying if you're, if you're so sick that you have nowhere else to turn, this is another way to take care of yourself. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Prayer of faith. Now, again, he does not say miracle. He says a prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick. Okay? Just as we ask for prayers for each other, you know, uh, so-and-so is sick today, we want to include them in our prayer list. We want to bring them to God because we care about them. Now, if you remember, we spoke about, and I think it was last week, God's will. How many times do we forget about including God in our plans? I'm reminded of that right now in my pants. Okay. But we need to put God in everything we do, all of our plans. You know, I can plan out a schedule for a week, but if I've forgotten God, then I've forgotten his love. I've taken him for granted again. The prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And then even more importantly, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Because at the same time we're lifting somebody up, we're saying, Lord, look into their life. Whatever is making them sick, spiritually or physically, take care of that. So many times even the next verse, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person when it is brought about can accomplish much. So usually it's our tradition okay it's a tradition that after a sermon or after a devotional we offer an invitation a time for somebody if they're if they're hurting they want prayers or or they want to be baptized it's an opportunity to come forward and you know just walking down that aisle <laughs> can sometimes feel like you're dragging a, a ball and chain it's just so hard because people are watching you and, and looking at you and, and you don't want them to know your business. Well, that's where family comes in. Because honestly, when I'm in the worst of it, I need you. And I look out at my brothers and sisters that I love and, and I want your help. And sometimes that help comes in the form of prayers. I want you to be involved in my life. And I know not all of us do. You know, some of us are more private than others. But if we can get those people praying for us, you've heard prayer warriors. Get a group of people that you love and trust that you can say, hey, I'm having this problem. Can you pray specifically for this for me? But then there's also the whole church. 
we can ask the entire congregation to pray for us because I believe in you and your faith and that God is, is listening to you. All right, let's move on here. I'm talking too much. Um, okay, 17 talks about Elijah and his prayers, all right, that they, they came to much fruition. God was listening to Elijah. He's saying, if God can listen to Elijah, he can listen to you. So 19, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth, strays, that's a word I, I never want to enact, strays from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. If you see somebody straying, if you see a brother and sister not do, not living according to God's word, what do you do? Do you just say, well, I don't want to meddle in their business? Are you going to let them really stray off on that wrong path? I mean, look at it in this in a picture, because you know I like pictures. It's a road. We're on the straight and narrow path, and there are little exits all over. Big ones with wonderful signs say, come here, do this. Oh, you're going to enjoy this. And sometimes we and me can take those exits, you know, because of temptation. Oh, that looks wonderful. You know, I'll just, I'll just take a little side trip here and then, then I'll come back. And so many times we don't come back. What can you do? as a brother and sister, in showing love, saying, hey, this is not right. Now, so many times, we just leave it to the elders, don't we? Say, elders, oh, somebody's going to do something. Go, go after them. Go get them. Go after that lost sheep. No. We have that same responsibility as well. We can't just stand there and go, well, I know what's right and wrong, and that looks wrong, and, um, but I'm not going to meddle. Do you think we're going to be judged on that as well? I think it's going to factor in there. Now he says, We'll save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. If you can help bring that person back, back from death, fiery hell, because that's where it's leading to. If you're lost, you're lost. There is no in-between there. You're saved or lost. And, and which path, where do you want to stand on that yourself? Where do you want your brothers and sisters to stand? Because we know that God wants every one of those souls back. He created them. He wants them back. But we also know at the same time that so many are going to be lost and not going to make it home. And at that time, we're going to be anguishing over those while we're also joy of our new home and being with God. All right. So James ends abruptly. That's the end. No farewell, no, you know, listen to my words, heed my warnings, you know, I wish you well, just done. So real quickly, 
we're going to review James. I'm going to go fast because we're in the last few minutes here. Chapter 1, Trials and Temptations. Wisdom from God. We are rich in God. Temptation is not from God. Controlling anger, listening and obeying. Okay, as you look at that, can any of those apply to you? I think every one of them does. And that's just one chapter in James out of five. Like I said, it's a guidebook for us for everyday living. Chapter two, favoritism is forbidden. I can't love half the room and the other half I really don't care about. That's not right. Each and every brother and sister is a precious soul. Is that my last? Okay. Taming the tongue, truism of God. Submitting to God, you are not the judge. Let God plan your life. Warning to rich and selfish people. Be patient. Be careful what you say. The power of prayer. Helping brothers and sisters get back to the right path. Okay. That is James. Next week, we start into 1 John. Please read up on it. I will see you next Sunday.